Welcome to the Climate Techies Sustainability Series, brought to you by Forward VC. If you're looking to network with other climate founders, investors, and corporates in the space, find solutions for decarbonization, potential investors, partners, or clients, learn more about climate tech IP, or just relevant carbon accounting and ESG tools, you've come to the right place. To connect with us and the 4,000 other plus climate techies, please visit forward.vc slash techies to join our community, WhatsApp and Slack communities, to access our climate solutions and climate VC database, plug into our ecosystem, and find other partners to work with. More details at climatetechies.com. So welcome guys again to Invest in Climate Tech Like a VC. This is a compressed version of a two-day course. Hopefully you'll get a lot of value out of this. I will try not to ramble and go on a monologue too long. I want to make you guys interact. And also I have a quiz in the end to make sure that some of the learnings are directly applicable. It's always kind of also interesting to see the, the pie chart of the responses to see that once something that might seem straightforward, uh, you know, might not be as as uh, simple to everybody. So first of all, my my story, I started as an entrepreneur. Well, I did a you know a bit of a my time in 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 San Francisco, Silicon Valley as a software engineer, and I started my first company in Africa, in Kenya of all places, where I planted my company was posting those solar panels on rooftops and villages. And they were all interconnected through that little box here. And that's the kind of the revolution that happened in, in this time, 2015. Africans could start paying as they go. So pay as you go through mobile money. So M-Pesa was really, it blew up at that time, opening new business models. And my company was doing the integration of those solar panels with the payment providers. And so now, eight years later, my company didn't really uh, explode too much. We went through two rounds of funding, but it was uh, a difficult market. But still now, we count about 15 million of those solar panels installed throughout Africa, mainly East Africa. And then I decided to relocate to Europe, uh, being a French native. It was kind of the comeback for me to Europe, and I joined the next big thing, investment team. So this team is a team that I put together from, from zero to take care of the venture arm of a big venture studio based in Berlin. It might not be familiar to most of you, but in Berlin, it had a bit of an echo. And so that's, that was kind of the start for me of being an advocate on all sustainable and environmental issues, leading me to start Climentum Capital which was one of uh, the first fully dedicated climate tech funds. So you see us here with the team during COVID times, uh, trying to structure the strategy, the fund model, and then the fundraising. And yeah, massive uh, you know, a moment when we announced the launch in July, 2022 of 150 million euro fund, quite large for Europe. And you receive a ton of press coverage. Yeah, I don't know if you remember, but 2022 was really the spike before that's the current winter. And we said that there's still a lot of dry powder from that point to continue investing in the climate tech ecosystem, both in Europe and in the US, but also in less um, spoken about regions like India or Latin America or Indonesia. So there's a lot of money for climate and hopefully more to come. And in 2022, I decided that because we're a brand new fund, we had to establish a brand. So I, I started a podcast called Climate Insiders. So maybe some of you know me from that. Uh, it runs on Spotify, YouTube, and all channels. And on top of it, I send weekly newsletters called the Saturday Climate Insiders. So every Saturday, you receive in your inbox one actionable tip. Hopefully, um, you know, I try to provide as much value as possible to both founders and investors to make their job easier. And because we, I consider that that climate tech scene was a little bubbly, meaning that we're all meeting and, you know, um, gathering with each other. And it was kind of, you know, always the same faces. I thought, why don't we go seek the people that are outside of the circles where they're hanging out, namely Gen Z and the younger generation. So started doing some content on, on, on Instagram and even TikTok, taking me completely outside of my comfort zone. And some of this went viral, confirming the fact that those younger generations really, really want solutions. They're lost and they really want another message, not just a doom and gloom. Uh, and in 2023, so just around the corner here in June, I announced stepping down actually from this phone 
which uh, surprised many because once you're in a cozy seat of a general partner of a fund, you kind of stick to it. And I did the opposite. So for me, I realized that I'm a builder, I'm a community uh, you know, uh, activist, and I want to continue inspiring, educating, and then leveraging different mechanisms to invest with many, much more than the pension funds and banks and the type of organizations that invest in funds. I want to invest with many, you know, and democratize this idea of climate tech investing. Uh, fundamentally, there's really a top-down and bottom-up approach. A top-down is you consider those institutional investors or you know, the central banks and some of the government funds are the ones calling the shots. You know, this is where the narrative of our society is decided from the top. This is very much how VC is structured today. And I thought, and I, I still believe, and I want to push this idea that we are going to go much faster as a bottom-up approach powered by communities, like forward VC, like the, the community I'm structuring, like so many other communities, because that, you know, as Matt always says, the tide raises all boats, we can all benefit from each other's knowledge, and there's less interest on protecting ourselves behind our little structure, we're all trying to spread knowledge and accelerate things. And beyond 2023, well, I see two scenarios, a great awakening or a difficult um, touching the bottom scenario. And I, the only thing I can tell you is um, I think uh, that investing in climate tech is probably one of the ways to create an awakening. So what, what are, what are my, my, my street creds, if you will? I work for an next big thing where we did seven investments, 100 to 500 tickets, 1,000 tickets. Um, I cannot reveal the IRR, meaning the return um, on investment, because it's still a young portfolio, but also it's not something that a VC fund reveals publicly. I wish I could. Uh, Clementum Capital, we also did 10 investments by now. I mean, I'm no longer part of the team, but they've done 10 investments since the, the launch. Uh, doing one to five million euro tickets at late seed and series A. But what I really want to emphasize is my personal angel portfolio, which I've done a lot of tickets. I try to do two to 20,000 euro tickets. I'll explain why these days I'm actually creating a one ticket size that I default for all my investments in an idea of diversification and also not trying to compare, you know, uh, there's a reason why you should not look at every single uh, investment as as a. Um, I, I'll get to it in, in, in a couple of minutes, and at pre-seed seed, or even earlier stage than I used to, is my um, my go-to because this is a matter of life or death for most investors, for most uh, founders. Uh, and I, um, in just a couple of years, managed to get a spectacular return on investment. Of course, most of you will ask, is this a realized or unrealized? Most of it is unrealized, meaning it's on paper, so that could change at any moment. But it's also very young as a portfolio. So if you compare that to real estate, stocks, bonds, or any other asset class, it is spectacular. And only venture capital can offer this kind of returns. I'm not including crypto in there. That's another conversation. Uh, but the idea, and I'm sure the reason why you're here, is to go from island one, so this is where you are, meaning you're probably as eco-anxious as I am, tired of reading those IPCC reports, powerless, confused. So there's all sorts of reasons why you want to become active. Uh, and you want to get to this island too, which is aligning with your values, playing an active role, saving future generations, investing in positive impact, and driving enormous returns. And so my role is to be that book to get you to from island one to island two. Of course, this is going to be a compressed version of this. Uh, if you're more interested, uh, I'll share a link to uh, for, so you guys can, can check out the, the, the longer format course. And I, I'm not going to emphasize that too much, but um, I actually recently wrote this newsletter showing the reverse correlation between all the climate conferences, may namely the, the COPs and the emissions. There's actually since 2015, the COP21 that was celebrated as the hoorah moment. Everyone's super happy that, you know, we, we finally conclude something at the UN level with 120 nations signing the, the treaties. 
there's actually an acceleration in the rate of emissions, which is insane. And so what are the solutions then? Um, number one, we cannot break the system. It needs to bend it. And the reason is if you break it, then the situation of Syria, of Lebanon, Venezuela, Ukraine happens. It's more chaos. It's disorganized, really difficult to even help elevate the, the happiness of societies. So we need to bend it somehow. And to do so, I believe we need to reinvent norms of success. It cannot be indexed on pure economic growth anymore. We need alternatives, forms of growth. But it has to happen in stages. And so I think to get a lot of people on board with that narrative, we need to let them vote with their capital. And today's biggest driver of change in this hyper-capitalistic society remains capital. And so investing in exponential tech that can decarbonize as fast as possible to solve this CO2 problem is really why you're here and why I keep stressing out that solution exists. And not only is VC the best performing asset class of the last 30 years, uh, but core enabling technologies are now available you know, small modular nuclear reactors, nuclear fusion, carbon capture, precision farming in every single, you know, subsector. And I go in depth in my class about this. I won't have the time to go over, you know, too deep here, but those enabling bricks exist. They just require people to invest and to know the rules to win repeatedly. And so I think I will focus mainly on those rules today. I'm happy to tell you more about the rest another time. But today is really the, the core uh, idea of you know, double-clicking on those fundamental rules of success. So I thought, why not going through the number one? The number one of all time, you know, every successful investor has understood that. But you'd be surprised how many of my peers, fund managers or investors, don't understand the power law. So the power law dictates that the 97% of all the profits come from less than 10, you know, of iterations in that case. Let's say that you have 10,000 startups created per year, only less than 10 will generate 97% of the profit. So it's a, it's an exponential distribution, unlike a random Gaussian curve like that, that is, you know, a kind of mean distribution. This is an exponential. It's pretty steep to the left. The problem is most people perceive it as a linear descending distribution. The actual is much steeper than the actually looks, looks like. So I, I thought I would emphasize that or illustrate it with different use cases in, in real life that will demonstrate that the power law rules everything. It rules venture capital as it rules most things in, in life. So it's basically a skewed or an even more, you know, st stronger distribution than the Pareto principle, the 80-20 rule that most of you know, uh, this is even steeper than that. So the wealth distribution, for example, if you take the, the richest 1% of the world, they're vastly richer than the rest of the world. If you look at language, for example, English, or it's a case in all languages, the the and a are vastly more represented in the English language than the rest of the words combined. If you look at websites distribution, Google, YouTube account for vastly more views and traffic than the rest of all websites combined. And you, you name it, there's even power law within the power law. So YouTube drives most of the traffic. Within YouTube, the few most viewed YouTube videos will drive most of the traffic. And then a single video of the most viewed YouTuber drives most of the traffic. So it's just in, incredibly to, to understand that everything is completely skewed to the left. So what does that mean for us in VC? That means that those really successful funds tend to over rely on the number of, a very small number of deals that return more than 10X the initial investments. And this is why we qualify as unicorns, right? Unicorns, um, the definition is $1 billion valuation. But when you're unicorn hunting, that means that you only look for companies that have those characteristics. 
And the number one characteristic is the market needs to be enormous, big enough to generate this kind of outlier returns. And the underperforming funds are typically the ones that are that haven't hit that unicorn. They might have 2x, 3x, 5x returning companies, but they haven't hit, you know, the nail in the head that's enormous returning company. I see a question popping in the chat, but you, Nadia, you stop me anytime if there's something. Else. And feel free, guys, to ask questions if you want more clarifying thoughts. Otherwise, I'll, I'll just carry on. So I mentioned the power law as one of the rules of success. Um, there's three rules that I rely heavily on. Number one is the, the sort of law of diffusion of innovation, meaning that you need to invest early before it's obvious. Number two is the TRL, which is very specific to climate tech investing. TRL means technology readiness level. And the idea is to invest not too early, but not too late when the TRL is typically between five and seven. Uh, not, I don't have too much time to go deep here, but the technology needs to be developed to a point where it's ready for commercialization. We're not talking about garage or lab scale stuff. It's tipping into commercial scale and it needs to be before it becomes too expensive, expensive in terms of valuation uh, or too competitive to get in. So that's sweet spot, you know, where this is where the main drivers of value come from and the power law that we just discussed, the bigger and more challenging the problem, the bigger the pent-up demand, and the larger your total addressable market. So we're not talking about incremental gains here. For example, photovoltaic or hydro wind that have had number of investments already done, but we're talking about, for example, nuclear fusion or green cement or precision farming, or those kind of things that are still untapped. And that have that potential, you know, outlier return profile. Um, so, if you guys want to ask questions about those rules, happy to double click on. We have one Angelo. question from Angela. Yeah, right. I don't know if it's easier for people to chime in and pop in, you know, on the, or otherwise I just read and answer. Hey, John, can you hear me? I'm happy yeah. to jump in. Yeah. yeah, all right, brilliant. Um, so I, I think we sort of crossed wires there because I've been sort of thinking through where the sort of biggest TAMs are, if you will, within the within the overall sort of climate sector investment space. I'm quite new to this. Yeah. Uh, so just looking up your LinkedIn profile as well, I'll probably connect with you later. Uh, but yeah, so my view is, you know, I mean, where are the biggest TAMs? I mean, so my view is, again, sort of long-term energy storage, uh, fusion, and probably act tech, right? But I'd love to get your view as a long-term player in this, as to where yeah. is the biggest upside? I think the upside, I think you, you nailed it. Everything boils down to energy, right? It's all about energy distribution, regardless how you look at it. And energy today, we're tied up to a handful of energy sources. And we're so overly relying on fossil fuel because that's the cheapest and the most transportable form of energy. And so as in your list here, you put fusion energy. Fusion is considered the holy grail of energy because that would render energy cheap and unlimited forever. It's the energy of the sun. And so there's been a lot of venture capital money going to fusion in the last two years because it has the, that's the ultimate power law case. Hmm. Right? If you nail this in the next 10 years, you have a multi-trillion dollar company. So fusion definitely is one of them. I would say that energy storage, you could argue that there's already a lot of funding in that space, right? So Tesla's gigafactories for lithium-ion batteries, you have a number of other alternatives. There's been so much funding going on alternative forms of battery systems. So if you as an angel or a VC are investing in this, it's already a crowded space. It doesn't mean the problem has been cracked at scale, but it means that you will compete. You will not know which horse to bet on when they already have hundreds of horses on the starting line. So if I kind of double click on that, that field, for example, if you look at alternative minerals, so we know that we need cobalt, we need nickel, we need all sorts of uh, minerals and metals for energy storage. Well, in lithium, but also cobalt or nickel uh, lately, there's not a lot of sustainable mining solutions. 
So you could argue that this is an enormous TAM because we need to convert the entire auto part into electric vehicles. But we know that there's a huge shortage of those minerals and we don't know how to make them sustainable. So a company that has a real nickel, you know, scalable solution to mine sustainably nickel as is, is a, a total jackpot. Got it. Diego, do you have a question? Yeah, I think what you're just mentioning is super interesting and uh, sustainable mining, it's, it's like a huge market and great uh, investment uh, opportunities in the, in the topic. But at the same time, um, still, although the market is super populated when it comes to mobility batteries, I think there's also a great chance to also look into different chemistries besides lithium ion. And I've seen a lot of yeah. startups doing like potassium, sodium-based batteries, and uh, the like we all know about like solid state batteries and, and so on. So I don't think it's it's still crowded, but still I believe that there's room for for more investment and more money that could be poured into the yeah. mobility batteries. And then we have the long duration energy storage, which is like another topic. And that one is more like niche compared to mobility, where you have companies like uh, Cato and like these huge companies that already um, are producing at super large scale. Yeah, yeah, no, very fair point. You know, it's funny, funny anecdote. Uh, when I did my master thesis in university, I studied um, uh, power systems and, and storage systems. And our teacher back then, it was 2009, so I'm not that uh, fresh. Uh, the the teacher said the ultimate unicorn or jackpot story will be to crack energy storage at scale. And it's funny that we're almost 14 years later and we still have not fully cracked this. So there's been billions already invested in energy storage and uh, Elon Musk has opted for probably the low-hanging fruit, lithium ion, which is actually chemically speaking very easy we've mastered that for cell phones but also all sorts of uh, usage every day and um, a lot of the battery experts say this is a this is a total uh, it's a foolish idea to scale lithium ion because we know we have shortage of lithium and uh, from a chemical perspective it's actually not the most optimal and energy efficient way but he opted for operational. I would say that the gigafactories and operational or business innovation is not a technological innovation. And so we see a lot of this in battery is we opt for low hanging fruits, operational improvements, and not so much uh, on the chemical side. Or uh, So I, I would agree with you if there's a vastly superior chemistry that could be scaled um, globally, that could be also ultimate TAM opportunity and huge returner. There's just been so many, it's been a, a you know, a, 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 a graveyard. There's been hundreds of battery, you know, battery tech companies that have failed. And that's a bit of a red flag to me as an investor. I would rather go to uncharted territories where there's a higher chance that I might find the startup that, you know, in a, in a matrix of four to five that have a higher chance to establish a moat, right? Or a defensible business versus the one that is in a land mine or a graveyard of a thousand that might not exactly have what it takes to you to fully scale. That's a long conversation, but thanks for bringing it up. Thank you, Johan. Thank you, Johan. I totally agree. And definitely I see the battery investments more interesting for like a strategic uh, perspective, more like a CBC type of investment rather than yeah. like a syndicate deal or something that you would do from your own um, money, basically. But yeah, thank That's you so right. much for, for the insights. Thanks to you. And so that brings me to, to, to the next point of the idea of when you do early stage investing. So I'm kind of anchoring in as an angel here. I don't know what this crowd is composed of, but it's assuming you guys are willing to invest your own money or to start playing with it. You need to diversify. It is the number one driver of success. And so I thought I had a bit of fun here with the slides, try to make it visual. I would consider the, the use case of, and uh, don't take, you, know, you, you might have much more or less money to invest. It's purely for illustrating this, um, this case here of, of portfolio construction. So 20 to 50K portfolio, where you will do two to 5K tickets at pre-seed seed. And let's say with that budget, you have 10 investment to make, right? So, oops, sorry, I clicked on. Uh, obviously, in this crowd, we're only investing climate tech, preferably game changers, so not incremental gains, as we 
justicling. We are hunting for those unicorns, those power law cases. Most people still think that VC is a game of chess, right? So some of the bets are more important than others. I actually think that it's a game of checkers. All bets are created equal for the simple reason that you have no way to predict which one will outperform versus the other, right? So if I were to say you have 20 deals to make, uh, eight in pre-seed, 10 in seed, and two in series A, so you're an early stage investor, you still want a bit of exposure to series A, so a company that has hit a certain scale, but not fully scaled yet. Um, those are the valuations you want to be looking at to stay in healthy territory. Uh, precede five to $10 million valuation, seed 10 to 20, and series A 20 to 50. I get this question all the time is, uh, is there a difference between geographies? And of course there is. This is uh, mainly what you find in Europe, right? So in the US, you tend to have almost a two to one factor. So the valuations are already at precede in Silicon Valley or New York tend to be even higher than that. I'm considering what's healthy here in Europe. And as an angel, this is where I really want to play. I rarely place about above 20 million valuation. The math just don't work. It, I go in depth about this in my courses. We crunch the numbers, I show scenarios and accounting all sorts of dilution. It's really hard to return your money if you invest above 20 million valuation. But as a VC fund, we were investing you know, in that kind of territory, 10 to 50 million. Most VCs do this. 80% of a VC capital is actually allocated to let seed series A, meaning that there's two valleys of death or gaps. There's a pre-seed gap and then the series B gap. So if there's anyone that wants to start a fund out there, I would say start a fund in pre-seed or in series A, in series B, right? You will have much less competition. Now, year one, this is what it looks like. If we speed things up to year five, you have a lot of death. A lot of the companies will fail for a number of reasons. Fallout with the founders, legal complications, running out of money, you name it. You know, there's a really high um, failure rate in, in, in startups. So that means that five years later, some of them have graduated to the next round or the two rounds thereafter. So um, assuming that in that time, you've continued investing even, you know, in, in sort of pre-seed seed, uh, those companies will probably die as well, right? So the, the failure rate continues pretty, being pretty high. So one sure thing is death will be part of a journey. You need to be really quite risk prone to be in that game. So one of the most important disclaimer I give when people enter this venture capital game is you need to change your mindset from losing money is part of the strategy. And um, I find that use case of Tesla, the free cash flow story of Tesla, very representative of what's happening in VC. I don't know if you remember, but Tesla until 2019 was the most shorted stock of all time. They hated it in Wall Street. Most traders on Wall Street were just shorting it heavily. The hedge funds were completely, you know, bitching about Tesla because every time they released a new model, the, the accounts were just going to the red. But what happened is after releasing the Model 3, boom, they were almost instantly that quarter after, you know, cracking their production problems in the green. And this is what happened. Tesla, in just a matter of, three quarters became the most valued automaker in the world, surging past the combined value of Ford, GM, and Fiat. And now Tesla is what it is. Now they're setting the rules for the entire industry. It's kind of nuts. And so the analogy here with your cash flow as an angel investor is very similar. You will be in the red after red doing individual bets. It looks like you're losing money a lot. And then you might have a small acquisition, maybe a bigger acquisition. You're still in the red because you continue deploying your money. But then after a couple of years, you are in the money too, right? It's kind of unpredictable. And what happened to me when I started doing this is uh, you start receiving notice emails. Uh, X company is going out of money. They're looking for a bridge round. 
meaning they're about to go under and they're asking existing investors to continue adding more money, which you should not do in most cases as an Android investor. You should rather continue investing in new company, fresh companies, and not helping the ones that are going under. Um, happy to go into this more in depth. Uh, and the idea is after seven years, for example, you will start understanding which of your portfolio companies look like a golden goose or a very promising one and which one has kind of exciting profile but you still don't know which one you know, so you still don't know how that's going to materialize into exits yet after seven years so if we were to kind of wipe out the floor and only keep the ones that matter eight years later you're left with three companies that really matter in your portfolio at year nine, two of them might graduate to Series C. At year 10, you will get an acquisition. So great, awesome. And what you really want is that enormous returner, that IPO or enormous acquisition, because the math show that to get a really nice, yummy and juicy returner, you only need one. Um, and this is where it obeys the power law. You only have two deals that return your entire portfolio. One that contributed more than 50% of the gains, one that contributed a little bit and the rest did not matter. And I just wanted to go back here for a sec. Um, it's very hard again to predict which one is the golden ticket or the silver ticket, because in an alternative universe, it might have been a complete different one. And you see here, um, I kind of run the math. I'm showing you kind of the results here, but in that universe A, this company returns 30, 50X and you have a total return of 4.2X. But in an alternative universe where it's a completely different field, you, uh, you're almost at the same kind of return um, with the same return profile, even though it's a completely different company, right? If you guys have questions, Pop them in the chat, happy to answer them. Um, and so this is the chart that I started with. Historically, venture capital has really outperformed over and over and over because of those outlier profiles. And it's very hard. Of course, it's skewed also within all the players. So let's say you have 100 funds or 1,000 investors. There's going to be only a handful that really crack this game. Um, but those that crack it really have spectacular returns over the long run. Diego, what's your question? Sorry for being so persistent. I have a, no, a, curious, a curiosity question. Have you ever compared like a venture capital investment uh, to like crypto investments that are being like very popular in the last couple of years? Is there any metrics yeah. comparing like, um, like both types of investments also with like real estate and, and so on? Yeah. Uh, so, so real estate, well, you have it in front of you, uh, real estate, uh, private equity, bonds. So those kind of the mainstream asset classes. And you can see that real estate performs uh, okay, and but it has kind of a linear return rate. It's, it actually surprises me that it's uh, 20%. Uh, I would say that, you know, it's, it's typically 6 to 8% annually over a very long stretch of time when uh, venture capital tends to be much more in the 30 to 40% IRR. And so crypto, this is a tougher one. Crypto is hyper volatile. So it's so dependent on your entry point that it's very hard to measure over a long run like this, or it skews the kind of return profile. So the YouTubers that will sell you, oh, this is the highest returning asset class of all time. Well, they're completely skewed because they entered really early on, right? Uh, it doesn't mean that you will not accrue a ton of gain in the future. I still think it will rip, but I would say venture capital has a more linear distribution profile than crypto. It's less dependent on time than crypto is. Yeah, totally agree. Like you can uh, make like uh, 20x in one day and then lose uh, like all the money in the following day, right? That's something right. like similar to what you're talking about. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's more like you had to invest in 2017 and you had to invest in 2020 to be in the green. If you invested in any other year, you would be in the red. So it's so, and, and you had to invest in a handful of months, 
right? So in 2017, you had to invest between March or to January and, uh, and, and September along those lines, right? Or December. So it's very, very time dependent. So, and since you cannot time the markets, I would say good to have a bit of exposure if you're really risk prone, but venture capital, um, if you invest in the right fusion company, it doesn't matter when you, you know, if you invest in 2017 or 20, I mean, timing is very important, but there's always opportunities in venture capital. When crypto is a sort of macro thing where every crypto or the entire asset class is dependent, is indexed on Bitcoin, basically. All right. Thank you, Johan. I totally agree also on that regard. And I was just curious to learn your, your opinion on it. Thank you, man. Yeah. Yeah, no, thanks. Um, what I do typically in my, in my class, in my community, I, I share uh, investment case studies. For example, at the moment, we're running this company. It's an alternative wood company. And maybe to change the flow here so you don't me, hear me ramble, um, I would kind of show you a quick, I think it's a two-minute video. Hopefully, you can hear the sound. Can you hear the sound or no? Unfortunately, uh, no. Uh, yeah, we need to share. That's something that I can do. Uh, ah, there you go. Sorry. Now you should be able to. Lightweight technologies are essential. They enable vehicles to reach longer distances and buildings to use less raw material. However, the production of lightweight structural materials, such as aluminum or glass fiber, are extremely intensive in CO2 emissions. In Strong by Form, we've been inspired by nature to bring a sustainable replacement to these materials. By emulating trees' structural efficiency, we created Woodflow, a technology that combines the latest optimization tools with a novel additive manufacturing process to produce sustainable timber-based composite structures capable of matching the performance of aluminum or reinforced plastics. Woodflow is sustainable. Woodflow is lightweight and strong. Woodflow is freeform, so it can have variable thicknesses and fuse complex assemblies into single parts. It can be used for structures for mobility, construction, and applications where only the imagination is the limit. Bring your ideas and join us in building a sustainable future today with Woodflow. All right, so you understand um, this is one use case where we are investing with a community and we're trying to enter at terms that are really attractive. It's 12 million pre-money valuation round. Uh, they're raising 5 million as 5 million seed round. And this is a case where digging into this, if they really crack wood as an alternative material to concrete, steel, aluminum in the construction space, knowing that we need to build 15,000 new buildings per day over the next 25 years, this is ultimate TAM, right? The market is ginormous. It could be enormously impactful and it could scale globally. And so we uh, look in kind of a competitive landscape where is, you know, has there been a lot of alternatives? The only real competitor we found was Wudu in, in France that raised $35 million uh, from lower carbon. But really that's it. You know, there's a, it's almost a blue ocean and it seems like a straightforward an obvious choice, right, to replace by by wood. And so I just wanted to bring it up and say those are the case studies that we look at in terms of valuation, in terms of potential, but also the impact, you know, uh, endless impact potential that those cases bring. Um, all right, so I wanted to, you know, we're almost running out of time. There's only 10 minutes left. Um, I, what I do in my class is typically want to make sure people kind of get stuff away and they're aligning. So I thought I would share this quick form, this quick uh, quiz. I'm going to share it in the chat so you guys can um, take the next three minutes. I'll put a timer here. So you fill out those eight questions and then we review the results together. So let's go ahead. Three minutes starting now. Obviously, we didn't cover all the points today, but
And if you have any questions, you can drop them in the chat. Yolan, I realize one of the questions, the top optimized for financial performance, should I deploy more broadly and do more deals or should I be extremely picky and cherry pick the best of the best? The answers are yes and no, but which one's which? Uh-huh, yeah, very good point. Uh, should you cherry pick or? It's the question. It's, uh, to optimize. Yeah. yeah. Um, should I be extremely picky and pick the best? Yes or no? I guess so. Yes. Should you be picky? Got it. Okay. This is the order. Or no. Should you <laughs> deploy more broadly? Got but it. Thanks for flagging it. So you and Diego, to you. Again, uh, if I can jump in while we wait for the for people to finish this, I just uh -huh. wanted to check from your experience, right? I mean, as an angel, how do you balance the amount of time you spend spend on DD of a company versus your check size? Because sometimes I end up going down this complete rabbit hole, right? And I spend days and days and days, and then I say, "Well, hang on a minute, I'm only writing a ten thousand dollar check. Just how much time am I going to put into this, right? Yeah. How, how do you balance that? Just high level." Sure. Yeah. No. Very good question. By the way, time's up. So, oh my God, the alarm. <laughs> that is brutal. Uh, so, a great question. I would say that you know the psychology of the investor is actually quite tricky. Uh, your decision is technically made in the first three minutes that you look at a deal. You're so influenced by your biases and 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 your entire curriculum, your judgment. That is based on all the cases that you've seen in the past, the uh, founders that you met, the people in your network, et cetera, et cetera. And there's only confirmation bias afterwards. So a VC that spends three months in DD will generally uh, land in the same decision or no, because they will always try to find an excuse not to make an investment. Or there's always going to be one partner in the investment committee that will say, mm, I know I don't see it. Uh, there's a reason why. I don't. And they're missing out on an opportunity. So I would say it's almost easier to have an investment comedy of one, meaning you managing your own money, because you can only rely on your own judgment. Uh, doesn't mean that you cannot you know, leverage the community and the, the collective intelligence. But your decision is made quite rapidly. And I would say, as we've seen in the checkers versus chess analogy, checkers is the way to go. So I was always default to the same check size. I would not index under the quality of the deal flow or the quality of the opportunity. You should always uh, you know, invest the same amount because it's unpredictable and you'll always be surprised. I mean, you, you'll, if you listen to hundreds of podcasts about the top fund managers in the world, which I've done, they will always tell you that uh, Uber was completely unpredictable. Twitter was you know, 140 characters. Who could have predicted it was a multi-billion dollar company? Airbnb seemed nuts. Uh, so they would have placed bets much more on the Google glasses, for example, or VR uh, headsets or this kind of stuff. But if they had done so and over-indexed on their kind of what they thought was better, they would have missed out on enormous returns. So default to same check size, your initial investment decision is typically made in the first couple of minutes. Of course, you need to do your homework and make sure you're not spraying your money in nonsensical stuff but i would not index it on deal flow quality thank you all right let's go to the results i'm very excited to so see what you guys oops it's here um mm -hmm. did you guys uh submit <laughs> I don't see any response. I definitely submitted. There should be at least one. Absolutely. So did I. Huh. Uh -huh. Also Let technical. Let me see. Da -da -da. Yeah, that's interesting. 
Um, sorry about that, guys. Not much I can do if Google has the form is not working. Um, okay. That's interesting. Maybe in that uh, case, just go over what, what the right answer sure. is. We'll say that we all did that. Yeah, them. that's a shame. That's a shame. It would have been interesting to you. Yeah. All right. Sorry about that, I guess. Let's assume we all have the right answers. So um, there's eight questions, and I'm kind of being provocative on some of them because they're not as straightforward. But the game is, uh, the, sorry, the tech is game changing. The team rock solid, but there is no immediate path to market. So this, I'm trying to, to say that the TRL is very early and there's a huge opportunity, but still a lot of risk. My gut feeling is to always, uh, you know, if the TAM is enormous, the team really, really competent, that is still an amazing opportunity as an angel investor. So you should go for it. The team is phenomenal. The market is enormous, but the idea is not super differentiated. That, on the, on, on the other hand, is a bit of a red flag. If it's overly crowded, very hard to pick which one is the right horse to bet on. So I would say I was always default to really differentiated cases. So here it would be a no. The project is fantastic. The market is enormous. But the run is hot with world-class investors and the valuation is priced in at $60 million. That, for me, is a no-go. Again, the math don't work if you're an early stage investor. Beyond 25, more or less, you are screwed. You will best return your money or you have very little multiple in return. One of your portfolio companies is going poorly and is looking to refinance with a bridge round. And I've seen that so many times. So this is it's going to happen to you regardless of whether you're a VC or an angel. You will receive those emails saying, hey, guys, we're running out of money. We just need an X amount just to pass the winter. As an angel, it is a no-go. The odds of success after that is, are enormous. And you would rather allocate your money to fresh new cases that are riding an exponential curve. As a VC, that's a different story. You do have money allocated, budgeted for this to make sure your portfolio companies don't die if they, they might pass a little local valley before ripping. But still, I haven't seen a ton of cases where if they're tanking, very hard to you know, re-dynamize a team and get the, the, the team spirit lifted again, et cetera, et cetera. The project is great. The founders are really convincing. The valuation is really low at 7 million, but they haven't attracted any VC yet. That is great. <laughs> that means that you have an opportunity to invest even before to front, you know, front run those VCs and get even yummier, yummier terms. So that should not be a qualifying defining criteria. You should definitely uh, consider the opportunity. And this is what we do as a community. We try to front run them. And then I make introductions to some of the top top VCs because I have the network and I've cultivated this network over the last five years uh so this is my sweet spot you care deeply about your environmental impact yet this early stage startup lack transparency and on esg and impact metrics mm. this I'm, I'm cheating a little bit because i spend you know a lot of time on my car uh, covering the esg and impact stuff um you should definitely consider investing even if there is no clear esg monitoring because we only invest in companies that are by design impact startups. They are addressing some of the biggest problems on earth. Doesn't matter whether the ESG is demonstrated now or in five years, if by design the company- the um, All right, and to optimize for financial performance, should I deploy more broadly and do more deals? Yes, you should definitely index on the same index size and diversify and not be too picky. And um, if you generally invest 10K, even if you see an incredible project, you should still invest 10K. Again, unpredictable to know which one. You should not have darling projects. You should kind of keep a neutral stance toward your portfolio. Uh, so hopefully that's helpful. We're running out of time here. I, I wanted to make sure that I shared some resources. So 
you at least know what to go next if you're interested to to learn more. Um, I think Nadia shared this in the chat, but I want to make sure that you you know you have this. Um, it's it's uh, the course. This is a link. And oops, uh, it's a two day course. Uh, you'll learn a lot. So Nadia, you can you can share that. Awesome, thanks a lot. And and I would love to have you if you're interested. Otherwise, uh, this is a free newsletter. Every Saturday, I send out interesting tips to help accelerate your journey as an investor or founder. So check it out. Lots of people are in it. Um, yeah, thank you very much. Thank you, Johan. And yeah, this is, I mean, rapid fire, sorry for starting late. So that cut, that cut off of some of the precious minutes that you're able to present. But this has been really informative. I had some questions, but I held back because uh, I think I had enough questions from the audience too. Uh, if you guys are still interested and want to learn more from Johan, we definitely recommend his course. Uh, community members, if you use the link, you actually get a discount as well by being part of the Forward uh, VC Climate Techies community. So please use the link because it also helps us keep our lights on a little bit, or at least contributes to that. Um, and yeah, thank you again so much, Johan. If there's any other questions, uh, feel free to let us know and join our community. I think we'll we'll post some links real quick right now as well. But otherwise, thanks and have a great rest of the day for wherever you are. Thanks, guys. It was great. Great chatting. Good night, yeah. Thanks, 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 Thanks